they are just as strong and tough as you would expect any um, American boy or man to be. Our girls are being raised that way now. I think it's a terrific turn of events for the strength of our nation. You love the red, white, and blue. You love Title IX. And you love what we're creating with that law. Uh, and that includes, obviously, the toughness, the boldness, and the strength, and that sense of, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to do what I think. That is what 2019 was all about. This women's soccer story and the ramifications of the Megan Rapinos and the Alex Morgans and their leadership. Uh, if you like them or you don't like them, they're here to stay, folks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational podcast about leadership, power, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle, and my co-host, Monica Doyle, will be back next week because today is a special edition of Powering Up. We managed to squeeze some time into the crazy, jam-packed, but very fun schedule of one of my all-time favorite journalists. USA Today sports columnist Christine Brennan has been covering sports at the national level, the international level, since 1981. And if you care about sports, you've certainly read her columns and you've seen her on ABC, CNN, PBS, uh, National Public Radio, and, and maybe even read a few of her books. So welcome, Christine. And it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on your terrific podcast. And and I love the, uh, the cross-generational idea. I think that's terrific, and hopefully it, it attracts the people of all ages. So uh, I'll do my best to, to kind of you know, not, not sound like I've been around forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, the you also have great um, Michigan connections, roots. I know you grew up in Toledo. I know you're a big fan of the University of Michigan. Uh, so, and you know, we're we're Detroiters here. So oh, thanks I, for your support of Michigan. Oh, absolutely. I still have my alerts um, on my phone uh, from ESPN on Detroit Tigers scores and, uh, uh, and, of course, Washington Nationals. I'm here in D.C., so, uh, you know, that's interesting to me as well. But uh, uh, Michigan, we grew up. We went. Uh, we had season tickets for years. First game I ever saw uh, was the 1960 Big Ten game, other than the University of Toledo football, which, of course, is also terrific. Uh, <laughs> go Rockets. But that was the 1969 Michigan-Ohio State game, the, the classic game, Bo and Woody. Oh, uh, yeah. First year at Michigan. And I was, I was just, uh, what, 11 years old, and our dad took uh, – most dad, men were there with their buddies or their wives or whatever, and – wives and husbands, whatever, and my dad took three little kids from Toledo up to see what turned out to be one of the greatest games uh, ever played in college football. How lucky was I? <laughs> well, and, and actually you mentioned your dad um, because you and I share the fact of having uh, an incredible father and then uh, the opportunity to, um, I, I covered sports for about five years, uh, not, not for the decades you have, but um, that experience of sharing that passion with our dad, and uh, you wrote a fantastic book, Best Seat in the House, A Father, a Daughter, a Journey Through Sports. Um, so that's, that's a, I know, a powerful piece of um, why you care so much. Well, thank you. And yes, and you and your dad, of course, and so, uh, so well-known in Detroit. And, and, but it's, it's, that storyline is the storyline that continues to this day. You know, I know we're going to talk a lot about the Women's World Cup and the meaning of all of that. Um, it's dads and daughters. Billie Jean King has said this for years. The greatest feminists now are the fathers 
who played sports themselves mm. and want for their daughters what they had. Now, thankfully, we're probably two or three generations into that. So now, of course, it's also the moms who played sports right, <laughs> because of Title IX, right. signed by Richard Nixon in June of 72, which is, you know, 47 years. But that's really the blink of an eye in our nation's history. And, and so what my dad was doing, what your dad was doing, uh, they were ahead of their times um, to be such feminists, even though they wouldn't have necessarily liked that word. Although I don't know now why anyone doesn't like the word. It is such a compliment. And it is so wonderful. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, I don't care what you are. Being a feminist is a great thing because you're, you want your daughters to have every opportunity that your son is having. And that's what we're seeing in this beautiful summer of 2019 with the Women's <laughs> World Cup and Serena Williams, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Serena, too. You know, so this is an incredible euphoric moment. And uh, my sense is that uh, it is it does have the power of um, that moment, perhaps, when Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs. And so I'm really interested in your feelings about this team, you know, this uh, that has strutted its way onto the world stage and kind of won a piece uh, of our permanent piece, maybe, in our hearts. And I know you wrote in one of your columns that, you know, the 1999 World Cup women's team um, maybe was a revelation but this 2019 is an affirmation. What did you mean by that? Exactly, yes. And, and I know you wrote a great piece as well on the whole, that this is such a big moment and very much akin to the uh, 1973, September of 73, Billie Jean King, uh, Bobby Riggs match, which was the first time I'd ever seen a woman on the same stage, uh, be it you know politics or, or sports or whatever, with a man, and then defeating that man. So yeah. many people thought it was an exhibition or silly. And I, it was the most important thing of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, and so empowering. And I tell Billie Jean King that all the time. Whenever I get a chance to talk with her, text with her, whatever. Um, I've done a book with her as well. And, and I thank her for what she meant to me growing up in Ottawa Hills, the suburb of Toledo, and watching that night as she pummeled Bobby Riggs. <laughs> um, so, so moving forward now, all these years, to 2019, yes, the 99 Women's World Cup, it was such a seminal moment for so many. And I, I wrote a column back then, and that I feel pretty good about that I said in 30 years, so I wrote it 20 years ago, 99, <gasps> in 30 years, there will be a woman running for president, uh, certainly women CEOs, women running you know, for, for Congress, Senate, whatever, who will say that the 1999 Women's World Cup, that great moment, Brandi Chastain, yep. Mia Hamm, Julie Friday, that whole gang, uh, the Rose Bowl packed to capacity. I was there that day covering that in California. Mm-hmm. That that moment was the seminal moment of her childhood. That was 99. That was a minivan revolution. Caught a lot of us by surprise. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, we care about this. Mm-hmm. We really care about this. Right. Uh, football Sold season. out, you know, very big yep. viewing audience, too. So it was that great awakening in 99. And it was the only story ever to be on the cover of Time, Newsweek, People, and Sports Illustrated in the same week. No story in the history of stories. You can look it up. Nothing ever has made those four covers in the same week. That is how big a deal that 99 Women's World Cup July 10th was. And so then, of course, we're talking about 2019. All right. And as we discussed 2019, uh, clearly it is a a very different outlook than 20 years ago. And, And for me, it was this affirmation, this sense of they're here. And these are comfortable women. They're comfortable in their skin. Yep. They're strong. They're tough. 
they don't care, Anne, what anyone else thinks about them. Right. They will do whatever they well please, including swearing, which is not <laughs> my cup of tea, yeah. to use the tea-sipping uh, analogy that I love that from Alex Morgan. Mm-hmm. But they are just as strong and tough as you would expect any um, American boy or man to be. Our girls are being raised that way now. I think it's a terrific turn of events for the strength of our nation. You love the red, white, and blue. You love Title IX, and you love what we're creating with that law. Uh, and that includes, obviously, the toughness, the boldness, and the strength, and that sense of, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to do what I think. That is what 2019 was all about. Yes, but as fantastic as you and I feel that is, there are still people who are very uncomfortable with that and actually rooted against the USA team. Uh, They rooted for France. You know, they rooted for the Netherlands um, because they don't like the attitude of this team and have even uh, said, oh, Megan Rapinoe has gotten a little too big for her britches. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have. In fact, I've seen those people on Twitter. Uh, And so what they did was this this, the storyline, of course, was that um, Rapinoe has said for a long time she wasn't going to go to the White House. And she did, there was a video, she did uh, an interview that looks like she was putting on her shoes at the same time, so probably not the optimal time to be chatting. Right. But she did months, a couple months earlier uh, where she said she wasn't going to go to the effing White House. Right. And that video dropped during the World Cup. She didn't do the interview during the World Cup. It had been done earlier, matter, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Donald Trump tw- had a tweet storm about her saying, went first and stop talking. And uh, Rapino did apologize for the expletives that her mother would hate it. Beautiful apology. Uh, but that she, of course, isn't taking this back. She's called herself a walking protest of Donald Trump. In that, she is not alone. There are millions of others who are probably exactly the same as she. And um, she also uh, has called out the president on uh, his racism, his sexism, his, you know, obviously bragging about sexually assaulting women. That's a fact. He's obviously gone against Gold Star Families. He's gone against John McCain. I mean, there's a lot there, and uh, all factual. So Rapino has been doing this, and she she did kneel for the national anthem three years ago. Mm-hmm. But during uh, important, very important distinction here, and during the World Cup, as a, one of the co-captains of the team, she was not kneeling, and I'm not sure if, if Trump even knew what he was talking about right. on this. Because she was standing ramrod straight, the way I was taught by my dad, who had been in the Army at the end of World War II, standing ramrod straight, ramrod straight uh, arms crossed or folded behind Fine her back. Fine behind her back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, very respectful, not singing. I don't sing the anthem, and out of respect for the anthem, I don't sing it. <laughs> uh, I stand uh, and straight and do that, and that's exactly what Megan Rapinoe was doing. So. If you didn't know she was protesting, you would not know she was protesting. Exactly. And so Trump then wanted to drum this up and make this a bigger deal, Trump it up, I guess, and make it a bigger deal. And so he picked a fight. Now think about this. Obviously there were athletes who didn't like Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush or Bill Clinton. Did they pick fights with them? Yeah. No. They were the president of the United States, and they didn't get down and dirty with one individual person. Don't you have 14,000 other more important things that you should be paying uh, attention would, uh, to as the yes, president? Yes, I would say that. Yes, I would say that over and over again. And, and anyone can look up my background. I grew up as a Republican. My dad was Bush's vice chair in Ohio in 88, a uh, liberal Republican. Um, and uh, uh, I thought it would be just horrified at the turn of events um, yeah. in the Republican Party that he loved so much. He passed away in 03. 
But um, but anyway, so that's my background, and I think that's important to mention. Anyway, so you've got Rapino, um, who is doing her thing, and you've got Trump going after her. Well, then I saw it on Twitter where I saw people saying, you know, some of the Trumpeters and whatever, go France. And this was right before the big game, the quarterfinal game against France. So they cheered for France. Yep. And I didn't realize, now we love France, because I'm on the freedom <laughs> side. But, that, so, but wow, not when we're playing them in the World Cup. Right, right, right. So all the, these Trump people love France now. Mm-hmm. Well, then, guess what? The U.S. beat France. So they're 0-1 now. So now yeah. the U.S. is playing England, and, and I saw some tweets about this from the Trumpeters about how they were cheering for England. All right, good. Well, let, how did that go? <laughs> not so well. So the Trumpeters are now 0-2. And now, of course, the final is against the Netherlands. And because these people hate Megan Rapinoe and hate these fabulous all-American women, uh, some of them, I guess, for, I guess, what, speaking their mind in 2019? There's the concept. So they're cheering for the Netherlands. And, well, how did that go? So those uh, anti-Rapinoe Trump patriots ended up with a perfect record of 0-3 for their uh, efforts uh, and is following the World Cup. Congratulations, one and all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, um, the other thing I would really like you to give us some clarity about is this whole issue of equal pay, because uh, people need to understand exactly what this is. We are, they are not talking about getting paid the way the billionaires who play uh, FIFA soccer in a part of the world where soccer has been a gigantic sport for uh, 100 years. Um, we're really talking about the pay in the United States at this moment. And, and also, not just pay, I believe it's the support. There's a lot of other pieces to that. It's the kind of treatment. Will you give some clarity to what it is that they are fighting for? Exactly. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Anne, because it has gotten uh, muddied a little bit. Yep. Where people are saying, well, the game is so big around the world, how can they see them equally? That this is apples and oranges, everyone. <laughs> this is apples and oranges. We're not talking about international, worldwide FIFA. Mm-hmm. That's the International Federation for the Sport, and that is not a part of the U.S. soccer team's battle with U.S. soccer, the federation that is the national governing body for the sport in the United States. This is a contained within the United States uh, discussion, and mediation is coming in the next few weeks between the representatives of the U.S. women's soccer team and the U.S. national governing body, the federation known as U.S. soccer. That's what the conversation is. So the fact that FIFA spends gives $400 million for the Men's World Cup for the bonuses and, and only does $30 million, they're saying they're going to double it now to $60 million, which is still a drop in the bucket, $30 million versus $400 million, $30 million for the women. That is a, I don't think that's very good, but that's international, that's FIFA, that is not a part of the equal pay conversation that we have been talking about and that now is going to... Uh, we're going to hit full steam here with the mediation. And it's all about the United States. And those numbers are very interesting. And as a capitalist and as uh, as someone who um, believes in that, you can now argue that the women are making more and, and doing better for U.S. soccer than the men, at least on some of these uh, measurements and calculations that we can look at. For example, uh, Wall Street Journal uh, had a story a few weeks ago 
that the U.S. women are actually, there's more revenue been produced the last three years from game, game day revenue at games for the women than the men by about a, a million. Uh, so that is significant. The women are making more money uh, for U.S. soccer during their matches than the men are, and that is a very important point. We know that Nike said that the greatest-selling, best-selling jersey in the history of Nike uh, in terms of soccer is the women's jersey this year, the 2019 U.S. Women's National Team jersey. That is a fact. That is more money. Now, does that impact the U.S. Soccer Federation? Well, as a sponsor, Nike then is obviously producing the jersey. So, yes, it does. It is part of the calculation. Then there's the fact of just performance on the field. Mm-hmm. And clearly, the U.S. women are the best in the world, and the U.S. men didn't even qualify for the World Cup last year, the Men's World Cup. So there's that. So performance, the actual value on the field of play. What is it worth to U.S. soccer and for that U.S. women's team to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated twice, I think, the pregame, the preview, and then the one that just came out afterwards? Uh, what is it uh, like? What's the value for little boys and girls to be seeing that team and cheering them on? And I do mean boys as well as girls. Um, and then saying, hey, mom and dad, I want to play soccer. Right. So you, that's even, you can't really calculate that. Yeah, and you know, you didn't even mention the fact, which I know you know, is that um, after the women won the World Cup uh, f- four years ago, they went on a 10-city victory tour that earned $23 million in revenue for the U.S. Soccer Federation. And this, so they... And that was $16 million over what the Federation thought that women's soccer was going to earn that year. And it was a year when the men actually lost money because, you know, they have had no World Cup victory tours and uh, they never haven't even qualified, you know. And so um, it's really uh, – I think they're in a very, very strong position as they go into this mediation. But – I wanted to ask you about, you know, what you see as the chemistry on this team, because for them to take a united stand about equal pay and for them to say, hey, we can multitask, you know, we can go out here and win the World Cup and also take a stand about our need to be treated as um, full world-class athletes that we are and not the second-class citizens they've been t- they have been treated as. What do you see, what is it about this team that gives them the strength to take such a united stand? And they have great role models in Billie Jean King, in Julie Foudy, and, and Brady Chastain, and Mia Hamm, and Brianna Scurry, and so many others who've come before them. And by that I mean Billie Jean King was fighting for all of this back in the 60s. And when we talk about Muhammad Ali and we talk about others uh, who made great social stands in our culture, in our history from the world of sports, Billie Jean King should be in every one of those conversations. Yeah. I've always maintained that if Billie Jean King were a golfer and, and instead of a tennis player, Augusta National would have had women members 20 years, maybe 30 <laughs> years before it did. Uh-huh. Because Billie Jean King was that strong and that tough. And she fought for equal pay yep. and got it. And that's why the U.S. Open. So, again, US, another one of these national governing bodies, the U.S. Tennis Association, has been paying equal pay for the U.S. Open since 1973, men and women. Mm-hmm. 1973. Wimbledon finally got there like 10 years ago. And that was thanks I mean, to the Williams sisters who fought that battle with Wimbledon, I believe. Isn't that right? It was. But who did they learn that from? Billie, Billie Jean King. King. This is not the first skirmish. Back in uh, 
uh, they had a little a strike for a while after the 99 World Cup going to the 2000 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have fought over and over for for better conditions and equal pay, better you know, the turf that they had to play on in Canada. I still think they should have threatened to boycott. That would have taken care of that, yeah. as opposed to the men would never play on turf. That was the 2015 World Cup that the U.S. Uh, that the women U.S. women won, but they had to play all the all the yeah. nations had to play on yeah. artificial turf. That was horrible. Uh, many more injuries, much more difficult to play on, et cetera. So, um, but they, they, so they've learned, they've learned, and, and Billie Jean is very, very involved uh, with them to this day. And Julie Foudy has been very involved, like with the women's hockey team, which also um, actually um, threatened uh, a strike and actually uh, was going to boycott the world championships in Detroit a couple years ago. Exactly. And then got got much better conditions and much better terms of their contract. Yeah, they won significant uh, concessions or increase in pay, and, and it's about investing in the sport. That's what they're also asking for. Well, and it only made sense. Let's go back to capitalism, because I am a proud capitalist. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm, I'm, many, I'm guessing many people listening are proud of capitalists. I mean, I, we, you know, this is, uh, this is not a bad thing to want to make money. I think we everyone does it, whatever we think. And again, I'm not, I'm not making it political. I'm just saying there's the fact financially. It makes our country grow. It makes everyone better to be able to obviously make, make money if you want to make money. You're going to the future of all of these sports, and is women and girls. Yeah. Golf, for example, is in dire straits. Mm-hmm. The demographics of golf right now are dead and nearly dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is white men and more white men, and, and I, I love white men, but you cannot sustain a sport for the next 30, 40 years based on 60-year-old men today yeah. because they will be gone, yeah. and who's replacing them? Get all these kids on video games, and you've pushed away girls and women yeah. because of the no-women policies of Augusta and others. Absolutely. You've done it 20 years. Right. It's, they have really, really... Given themselves quite a problem, put themselves in quite a fix uh, in golf because, by definition, your new person, your growth industry, your your market, your future market is women. Because you got the men in, in golf. all you sports. Don't have the women. In all sports, yep. yeah, and exactly. clearly, women are driving soccer for sure. And I mean, hockey. You've mentioned hockey. You mentioned golf. Um, yeah, that, that's the future, right? But around the world, oh my goodness! And and the thought that you are pushing away in these countries that love soccer. The Argentinas, the other South American countries, uh, African nations. Oh, what a shame. What a missed opportunity where sexism trumps capitalism, even among the greatest capitalists among us, like at Augusta National. Uh, exactly. Um, it's truly a stunning portrait of how bad the decision-making has been by these men. And now they're looking around going, oh, we could actually grow our sport with women. Oh, well, guess what? We've been such jerks for years that you all these young women who play sports for the rest of their lives, millions of them every year, they're not playing golf, not in the numbers that they should be, because they're playing other sports. They're doing all their soccer leagues and their volleyball leagues and their health marathons. Yes, they weren't welcome. Training. Yeah, they weren't welcome, and now they're gone. They are gone, and yet they should be. I love golf. They should be playing that game, and yet they're, they, because they grew up playing other sports that welcomed them. But let, me, but let me, but let me, I want to make sure we get a little bit of a chance to talk about your own leadership journey, Christine, because um, there are very few women journalists who have been covering sports as long as you have at the national and the international level. 
Uh, you have just a tremendous experience, and you also have a voice, and you're willing to use your voice. And I'm sure you have been um, subjected to incredible, uh, particularly social media, perhaps uh, criticism and pressure and threats, I don't know, because of your positions. Uh, would you share for us uh, maybe a little bit of um, what you've experienced as a woman covering sports? Uh, and sure. Is it getting better? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. First of all, there's well over 1,000 women covering sports, maybe 2,000 now. I mean, we our Association for Women in Sports Media, and Anne, if anyone's listening, um, either parents or young women uh, thinking about being a journalist, they can find me at christinebrennan.com. And there's a whole student tab on my website that I encourage them to go to and look at a couple of the videos that are embedded there, three hours worth of, of women talking about sports journalism, me, uh, Rachel Nichols, uh, Leslie Visser, et cetera. Um, but the Association for Women in Sports Media, I was the first president, and we've got a scholarship internship program there as well. So they should join the Association for Women in Sports Media. And as I said, we, we just had a convention a few weeks ago, and I think we probably had 200-some students. And that's not everyone that can come. I mean, it's only in Tampa, so those who, not everyone could make it by any means. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds, maybe up to 1,000 women every year in colleges in the country that want to be in sports media writing, broadcasting, et cetera. And so that is fantastic. So it is great. I'm very, very bullish. I, I'm a glass half full person, and it's terrific. For me, um, when I started at the Miami Herald in 1981, I was so ready for this career. Uh, mm. Going to Northwestern, I believe the best journalism school in the country, <laughs> undergrad and master's uh, at Northwestern Medill School of Journalism. And then I had four internships when I was in college, including Toledo Blade and Miami Herald. And in, in Kentucky, at Lexington, Kentucky. So I was just launched out of, out of Northwestern to, come, to have this career. So no one was going to stop me. And if I had, but yes, oh, for sure. Um, first locker rooms, going into the men's locker rooms, which you have to do. You don't want to do it. have to do it to get the interviews. Uh, and now, of course, everything's fine. And, and men go in women's locker rooms. Men go, uh, women go in men's. No problem. It's all equal, and it has been since the 80s. But back early on, right at that time, uh, I get yelled at, yeah, we don't come in the women's bathroom. What are you doing here? You know, I'm 22 <laughs> years old. Was I going to stop? Heck no. I kept going, did my interviews, and got out of there. What, one guy in the corner, a nameless guy, is going to end this dream of mine? And I tell that to young people all the time, and just be put on blinders. Be a little deaf, be a little blind. Ignore the naysayers or anyone. You want to be an engineer, you want to be a doctor, whatever you want to be as a young woman or young man. Someone's going to tell you you can't do it. Ignore it. Because if this stuff had bothered me, I would have been hiding under a bed in 1982, <laughs> and I would have never, ever gotten out from underneath that bed. So, <laughs> We're sure glad you never crawl under that bed, Christine. Exactly. But, but it is, it, social media is tough, and there are real issues that I encourage young journalists to not read their mentions, have mm -hmm. someone go in and clean them out, yeah. block those people. Um, but it is, I've been living the life of my dreams. Every day is an adventure. I love it more today than the day I started. And I'm so lucky and fortunate. And I want, to, I want make, to make sure that young people understand what a great time it is to be a journalist and how important in our country it is uh, at this time to be a journalist. Well, let's finish up. I want to ask you, um, it is an incredible time and an incredible time with women, obviously. So what are you looking forward to? Um, what do you see the big stories coming up that uh, you can't wait to cover? 
certainly this women's soccer story and the ramifications of the Megan Rapinos and the Alex Morgans and their leadership. Uh, if you like them or you don't like them, they're here to stay, folks. And I could easily see uh, when they want to, if they want to endorse uh, one of the Democratic candidates, uh, let's, lo- let's look at that and look for that, uh, those kinds of things. I like sports and culture. I certainly, um, if the president, I don't, I don't deal with politics, but if the president enters the world of sports, which, you know, that intersection is now like an eight-lane superhighway, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. And so he'll certainly, as he has done the other day with the, the horrible racist uh, comments about four uh, women, uh, yeah. congresswomen, including one from Detroit, yep. um, well, you know, he'll do you. this. And, mm-hmm. he'll, and so, you know, column-wise, I'll be there. But sports is great, and there's so many wonderful things. And the big thing for me coming up, just a year from right now, another Olympic Games, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Katie Ledecky, the great swimmer, she lives just a mile or two from me. I know her well. I know her family very well. What a wonderful role model and what a lovely person and super smart and so great. Katie's going to be going for more gold medals in Tokyo, as will, of course, the gymnast Simone Biles. A victim of Larry Nasser, also just speaking mm-hmm. out and being such right. a strong leader. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to that, most of all, uh, covering my 19th consecutive Olympics, winter and summer, going back to 84 in L.A., uh, in Tokyo, just a year from right now. Well, I can't wait, and we uh, can't wait to really continue to hear you use your um, very insightful, clear, powerful voice, Christine Brennan. So thank you so much for uh, being with us. Oh, Ann, my pleasure. What a what a great conversation. Let's do it again soon. And again, if anyone wants to find me, christinebrennan.com and send me an email or, or go to the student tab and, and, uh, and watch some of those videos if they're interested in journalism. Well, thank you, Christine Brennan, USA Today columnist, MSNBC, ABC commentator, and one of the absolute top journalists covering and commenting on sports today. So let's go power up, everybody. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up, everybody. I'm Ann Doyle. Monica and I hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. And we'd love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Ann Doyle LDR on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.